thing. Also, Justin likes his drops. Uh, ignore him. Talk through them. <laughs> his what? He does drops a lot. No copyright law in the universe okay. is going to stop yeah. me. Just, just yeah, I don't. I don't have all the podcast term. Yeah, yeah. That helps though. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, some like sometimes the terminology. Like, yeah, someone will just like he'll he'll you know air horn someone and like they freeze up and don't know what to do. <laughs> so. Did I, did I cover it, Justin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm the person who does the disclaimers now, apparently. People didn't just want to f*** the one slur. They wanted the one slur to f*** himself. That's what Tumblr wanted. Pizza Hut wants to fuck me, apparently. <laughs> I feel like I should confess, too. Like, I, I realize most people are either audiobook people or podcast people. And so... I always like I want to listen to more podcasts, but then I'm like, well, that's going to interfere with my audiobook intake. And then on podcast people say the same thing to me about audiobooks. So hmm. I'm Don't an either to person, actually. Yeah, I can't do audiobooks because I can't pay attention to them. And the only podcasts I can listen to are like comedy people talking about the news that I don't pay attention to while mm-hmm. I drive and clean. I'm going through Pod Damn America right now oh all the back catalog that's oh, yeah. a lot of stuff yeah it, it's unending i don't have to worry about what comes next <laughs> yeah i guess i do listen to less audiobooks now because i listen to podcasts but because like during grad school that was all i did was listen to podcasts like, listen to audiobooks and then play like mindless video games and like that was what i did yeah i got really into listening to like memoirs on audiobook because then normally they get the person who wrote it to, to read it and i really liked that i had someone else read mine really i don't like i'm not i'm not in love with my own voice and i feel like it was oh, a yeah. younger time in my life and um so i want like a younger voice i don't know yeah i like roger ebert's because obviously he had to have someone else uh read his so i thought that was uh interesting that he was like still alive when it was recorded you know, because normally they just get the person to do it. Um, so Carrie Brownstein um, for uh, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl. Uh, they actually had interviews between her and the director of the audiobook as part of the audiobook, as well as like her like doing little guitar riffs here and there. So that was cute. I liked that a lot. No, I just finished your book on audiobook today um, while I was trying to sleep for my night shift. Yeah, that was not my voice. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. No, I didn't realize it until like the end because I guess I didn't notice at the beginning when they were like, oh, here's the person reading. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, I was like, oh, okay, that's someone else. So I'm going to have, I'm going to hear someone else's voice tonight. It's good. All right. Introductions. I'm Justin. I'm a Skullcom librarian. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Sadie. Uh, I work IT at a public library. My pronouns are they, them. I'm Jay. I am an academic metadata librarian. My pronouns are he, him. And we have a guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Christy Cooper. Uh, my pronouns are um, she, her, or they. Um, and then 
Uh, yeah, I'm an adult services librarian at a public library in Michigan. Welcome. That was our live studio audience. Um, Arthur's there. Yeah, because yeah, they'll they'll turn on you. Arthur would never turn on you. <laughs> Arthur would never. So, Christy, I, we wanted to have you here to talk about your book. Uh, I was a stripper librarian. Is there anything you want to tell us about the book up front that as we jump into it? Um, I think one thing I like to tell people from the beginning is I actually, let's see, I think I wrote, I wrote the first draft of it about eight years ago. And then I just sort of sat on it for a long time. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to publish this one day. So it became one of those things where I was like, I am going to get, you know, I wanted to get this done. I wanted to do this. I'm going to do this. And I think at that point I was, I had this vague idea that I could do it anonymously. And I, I feel that that plan was go- would never really work very well anyways. So, I mean, at this point in my career, I'm okay with everyone knowing. I don't, I just don't care anymore. So <laughs> it may affect my advancements, but eh, here we are. I mean, I feel like it also is important, you know, to kind of for more former sex workers to be out to kind of make normalize that as, you know, something that a lot of people have experienced, but then don't talk about, and I've met with other library workers and talked to them who are, you know, current and former sex workers trying to get jobs in the library world too. So when I was reading your book, I realized that towards the end of the book, you start talking about like getting sort of accidentally into library advocacy. And I was wondering if that was like the same, what gave you, if that coincided with you deciding, oh, never mind, I'm just going to publish this not anonymously. Yeah. Like I developed a certain amount of notoriety in Michigan libraries, just from some of the advocacy stuff that I've done. So at, at that point, I feel like I'm already a bit of a, a well-known, at least in name, at least in, you know, anyone who's paying attention to what's happening to libraries in Michigan. And so I know people have opinions about me. I got used to people having opinions about me without knowing me. And in that, I don't know, I'm just, I've, ex- I've accepted that. And I having done more activism, I am comfortable with whatever, whatever heat that puts under me. So. Yeah, I can imagine, especially having to organize a whole lot of like protests and board meetings, which just is the scariest sounding thing to me to have to constantly organize and corral people into a meeting every week. I realized I really enjoyed that. That was, I wish I had more time to fight the bad guys <laughs> in the way that I, I did during that period of my life. Um, I feel like it's something I'm, it's a, it's a niche skill combating, you know, really corrupt library administrations, but. Yeah, we can jump into all that in the depth in depth in a moment. Um, but for people who might be interested in getting it, what got you started on the book? Like how did the process get started? Like what made you decide to end up writing it? Well, like I said, I, start, I sat down to, to write it about eight years ago. And at that point, oh, gosh, I have to try to, to describe time now. But at that point, I think it had been like six or se- like six or seven years since I had um, since I'd stripped. So I don't even know if I sat down now, if I'd have the memory for it. But having had that draft, I finally went back to it. And I, you know, I edited a bunch and I had other editors help me. But it was something I just felt like I really wanted to get down and get out. Yeah. And then you came back to it 
in 2018 was when you sat down? Sat down to edit it in, well, I, ooh, 2021. Okay, and what, wow, actually what I did, what I did was I, um, I already had an editor go through it and I, I need a little fire under my butt to finish it. So I, um, announced it for pre-release and that forced me to finish going through the edits and like get it ready for publication. Nice. Now that's probably what I would have to do too. Oh shit. I've got to work on that article tonight. Uh, okay. Well, I'm working a night shift tonight. My brain's kind of scrambled. So I, I am curious, you know, what responses the book has gotten so far. Cause it's, it really came out recently. I guess I had just bought it and assumed it had been out for like a year or something, but I think I got it like right when it came out. Um, so what are the responses been from like library workers, good and bad? I think overall people have been pretty positive about it. Good. I If they weren't, I was going to get mad. Well, when I first, yeah, when I first announced it, like I shared it um, on Facebook to like the ALA think tank, you know, I'm just like, oh, I'm just I'm sending it. Everyone's going to find out, find out everywhere now. And I had like nothing but positive reactions, you know, and I'm sure there's some people who quietly thought, oh no, this is, but those people at the very least, they felt like keeping it to themselves or having those conversations more quietly. They didn't feel, um, I, I really only had one library worker get negative on, on my Twitter too. And then I, I didn't even notice it happened by the time I logged into it, a bunch of other library workers had like got, you know, had kind of just argued that person down. So I'm proud of the think tank. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, but <laughs> I honestly feel as though if I did this five or 10 years ago, I wouldn't have gotten as positive a response. I think that because the library world is trying so hard to like be more inclusive and open-minded and a lot of people are, I mean, I honestly, I have a lot of thoughts on that and I think that a lot of stumbling is happening, but there is at least that effort, you know? So I think people are trying. You're going to stumble. There's that. Yeah. yeah. There's, yeah, yeah, people are trying. So there was that open letter that I wasn't really planning on bringing up, but it was about the, the anti-neutrality guy. And oh, yeah. a lot of people were kind of dogpiling on it like you should. But the reason I didn't say anything about it and didn't plan to was because someone pointed out this letter was not written for library workers. It was written to external parties to make them think libraries are getting too woke or something to then like further this main author's career with them and like think tanks or conservative politics or reactionary liberal politics. Yeah, I thought it was funny because we had a whole bit on here about how I'm also against the like radical empathy framework, but like not for like bootlicking neolib reasons. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't want to overly get into it, but it was, you know, I think that kind of reaction is not even aimed at changing the library world. It's like aimed at, you know, just the the sort of position of the people doing that kind of work, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> yeah. I think I totally missed this on Twitter because I haven't been on social yeah. media at all. It's bullshit. No. Don't bother. <laughs> okay. Send, somebody send me a link. I feel like I'm always behind on the latest like hot topics in the library world lately. Yeah. That was why I did make the the bad library takes Twitter, but then I've never kept it up. But 
the only reason I was thinking about it was because I went to one of the meetings of the ALA group that's working on the radical empathy and alternatives to neutrality meeting. And I was like, oh, no, they didn't plan this meeting out very well. It was kind of a bit of a train wreck. It was the first one, though. So it's like, okay, fine. They'll, they know. But then this letter came out that was just against the whole idea and had just missed all of the previous discussions about it. So It was also yeah. shitting on Sam a whole bunch. Yeah, I didn't even read it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else did. They had plenty of time to dunk on it. But I was like, this, I don't think this is in good faith. So I scanned it. I, I did not do a deep dive into it. <laughs> well, I'm glad that library workers are pretty cool about it. I also wonder if it's because a lot more people are involved in sex work in some way or know someone who is, particularly like with the rise of OnlyFans or something. I wonder if that's an irrelevant impact or if people are making a conscious political choice to be more sex positive and sex worker positive. I perceived it as a more conscious political choice. Cause I feel like, you know, you can move like with, within like the more radical circles of library land. I mean, everyone knows someone who's done sex work probably, but when you go into more kind of mainstream liberal, honestly, like that librarian is a very sheltered person and we all know who that person is. They do not know anyone who has an OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forget how much my bubble is bubbled sometimes. Yeah. My coworkers are pretty much just, they're liberals. So yeah. <laughs> not, not everyone has like a friend who's just like posting nudes on the timeline just every day for like a joke. I just realized it's not everyone's experience. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. I'm trans, so I've like seen all my friends naked. You know, <laughs> it's a you know that's how we talk to each other. Yeah, this is a little generational too. Yeah, could be. I hope the Gen Zs are. I hope the Zoomers are having a good time, and we'll figure everything out for themselves. I'm so excited for like Gen Z and Zoomers, and are they the same thing? I don't know, but mm-hmm. for them, when are they old enough to start like? being library workers i think they're beginning to be yeah like yeah Yeah, i think so yeah i'm in the middle so 23 would be the oldest zoomers yeah cool i want to see zoomer librarians but that's the oldest ones yeah so they're gonna they're gonna be the zennials but 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 the other way not with the x yeah i don't think i realized the exact age group because my uh uh, my housemate he is 22. He's a Zoomer, but I just sort of like, I just assume everything's like the same as him. I see your cat. Hi, cat. Yeah, he positioned himself like just right there. The new normies are different. They don't give a about Inuyasha. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get these? I'm getting into VTubers lately. Oh no! I know it's it's a weird world. Why would you do that? <laughs> I I not I want to be a VTuber. I want to be I want to pitch shift my voice and be an anime girl for you fifty thousand people. Yeah, uh, I would pay so much money for like you and Steve to to be VTubers. <laughs> That'd be very funny if we did like a so duo good. thing. <laughs> so I actually, as I was finishing up your book today, I had to pause it a few times to just like pace around my apartment and get mad because one part of the book that I, that I enjoyed 
I was mad on your behalf was the job hunting process because I was also unemployed a long time after grad school. Um, not as long, but had to go through a lot of very stupid questions and interviews. And the one that made me have to get up and start writing some notes was the one where you were interviewing to do a web librarian job. And the person said, don't you know anything about Second Life in the job interview? (laughs) And they're like, this is the future of online library services. It was rough. Time has passed. I was vindicated. That did not become an important thing. So, you know, that's actually another big, um, that was one of the most common pieces of feedback I've gotten from people is just like resonating with my job search experience and just being like, this is like, you know, one of the first places I've seen somebody talk about that and how much, how, oh, and that and a few people saying that they decided not to go into libraries because that was like, because how hard it is to find jobs. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like makes me think about like so I'm always curious about like if people had jobs before being librarians even if it was like you know in high school or during college or whatever like how those skills like transfer over like oh you are good at this as a librarian because of X like I can always kind of tell if someone's done like a public like a, a service worker kind of job or like done retail or worked in a restaurant or something by the, the way they react with the public. So I, I'm so curious, like how have um, like the skills you um, have as like a sex worker, like translate over to library land and, you know, anything like that. I know that's such a like corporate question, but I'm like really cururious. I think being patient with difficult people, I think even be, <laughs> yeah. even prior to that, prior to stripping, I had you know I I worked in restaurants and stuff, and I but I think um, stripping stretched my patience level further than it had gone before, and I think that um, like if libraries didn't hire you on the spot for that skill alone, like <laughs> well, yeah, and that's why I posted something on Twitter after I had talked to this woman who was in library school, and she was like trying desperately to get any type of library experience. Like I, I helped her with, um, you know, her resume and stuff and just like kind of just putting it out to people who, you know, how they feel about hiring former sex workers. And, um, you know, of course, everyone on Twitter is like, yeah, I told you what, that's a great skill. That's a great skill. But I'm just like, in practice, though, these are these are the Twitter people, though, versus like what's actually happening when people are looking at her resume or she's going to an interview. So. Yeah, I mean, and something you brought up was if you do full service sex work in a place that isn't where it isn't legal, that comes up on a criminal background check if you at any point get caught and arrested. So mm-hmm. in in my university, that would be immediately disqualifying no matter what I thought. Like if I was the chair of the hiring committee, it wouldn't matter because the HR department would uh, kick the applicant out. So I hope people are considering that <laughs> uh, when they say that they would hire someone before that person goes through the process of applying if you have a a criminal record related to it. And I think with public libraries, it varies too, like depending on how you're structured and how, how, if you're run by the city, if you're run by the County, if you're independent from all of that. And in Michigan, we have like a bunch of different types of legal, um, legal ways libraries can be established. So it might dip in my state, it would depend on, what kind you're in, but if you are in like a 
system that's more HR heavy, yeah, that's definitely going to be a problem for you if you have a record. But I would say, and it depends on what what you what kind of sex work you were doing too. Um, but even for someone doing full service, you're a lot less likely to be arrested if you are working, um, you know, if you're working online versus somebody who is working um, on the street too. So that's also a, a privilege consideration. And if you're able to be more picky about customers, if you're in a position to be like, you know what, this vibe feels off, not happening, you know? Yeah, it was a really interesting part of the book when you were talking about the conference and uh, meeting all the other different types of sex workers there and then their considerations about like, if you're going to be an escort, how much should you charge? How, how many minimum hours? How many, uh, uh, what your considerations are? And then you talk a lot about FOSTA SESTA. Well, not a lot, but you, you kind of close out that that se- segment on FOSTA SESTA and everything we've all heard a million times about how this creates dangers for sex workers and also means there's a lot fewer, like, I don't know why this shocked me in any way, but when you were just talking about being on like the stripper message boards and just being like, oh yeah, this is like our four, like, like our strippers or whatever. And just being like, oh yeah, we're, we're, I'm out of town this week and this, this city was great. And then I came back and I made a lot of money. I don't know why that shocked me that that existed, but you, you did sort of mention that that was harder to do now, right? Um, I would say at the beginning of SESTA-FOSTA, there was like this, there was more fear about giving advice online. I think that though, if you look on like sex worker Twitter, people are giving advice, but it depends. You have to be careful. Like you still have to be careful about how you say it. Um, but that is for me, you know, I, before I went into stripping, I, I nerded around on the internet and like, <laughs> and I know this is a very privileged position for me where I was able to just like read a bunch of forums and like get advice and figure out what I was doing before I ever started versus just sort of showing up and hoping for the best. Which this would have been, if I remember the timeline, right, this would have been like 2005 when you started. Yeah, that sounds about right. So was there like stripper MySpace? There was, there was something called stripper web. That was, that was the, where the internet forum I hung out on. To like learn the ropes. Learn yeah, the- I'm now going to geek out on like old technology, not mm-hmm. old technology, but like just things that people have used in the past. Every time when this comes up, I get fixated. So there should be like stripper neo cities. That would be fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> how are we going to strip in the metaverse? I feel like, uh, you know, if you want to get this position here at uh, librarypunk.inc. Uh, you are going to, uh, you know, I, I think like metaverse is the future. So I really want you to explain uh, uh, stripping in the metaverse, please, Christy, 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm still not sure like what the metaverse is going to entail. It's second life, but it's yeah, it's second <laughs> life, but worse. It's, it's second life, but it's destroying <laughs> the environment. <laughs> yeah. Instead of being a haven for trans furries, it's. Mark Zuckerberg. It's Mark Zuckerberg. Assholes. It's, it's Wii Sports. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's just Bitcoin, but Second Life. It's so stupid. So, yeah, that's what it is. So the answer is nothing. It's a, it's a technology in search of a use case. The worst kind of technology, in my opinion. That does mm-hmm. beg the question of, like, have um, – because I know with, like, crypto – there's been like aggressive marketing towards like in marginalized 
groups and communities like fucking um oh god i'm so bad at names sometimes he directed um do the right thing spike lee spike, spike lee? lee yeah spike lee did like a bitcoin ad and right and like talking about like how it frees you from banks and stuff so i wonder like have crypto people and like companies been like targeting sex workers at all especially with like the anonymity oh, aspect I bet there, of there it. Are a bunch of Dudes who have tried to pay strippers in Bitcoin, I guarantee it. <laughs> um, yeah, like I haven't. I mean, I would say probably in the club where it's cash. That's like that wouldn't. I don't. You know, it take two I'm hours not sure if that to would pay. Fly. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. Um, but there are escorts that take Bitcoin. Yeah, I would imagine. Internet people are weird. I tried to buy a Twitter handle one time, and I was like, "I can give you real money," and he's like, "No, I only accept Bitcoin." I'm like, "Okay, but like." US dollars, the real ones, I can give you the money. I'm not getting a Bitcoin wallet for this. <sighs> so I imagine, yeah. And since sex work is the ultimate customer service, it's sort of like you have to put up with people insisting on paying you in extremely weird ways. Well, funny thing though, I you can be more picky about how people pay in order to ensure that you get paid too. Mm-hmm. So. What are you going to say, Jay? Oh, I was just going to say, I know, um, I mean, it's still bad and, and wrong but um i know in like privacy circles like sometimes things are ranked higher than others and like privacy scores based on whether or not they take bitcoin because of the anonymity aspect i mean obviously it's a public chain um at least the nft ones are or something but in theory there can be a degree of anonymity if you're using bitcoin to buy things like you shouldn't but that's why i was curious um if it had caught on with uh, sex workers or not because of any sort of anonymity provided by it i think that no the appeal would be if you have customers who are kind of paranoid then you just know okay fine you can pay in bitcoin oh okay it's like that you know like so you just kind of get over that whatever barrier that they're afraid that if there's a credit card charge or, or whatever. Makes sense. Um, I did want to ask about like, how do you feel library workers and, and library patrons who are sex workers could be better supported by the field? Well, I think that kind of just more awareness among the library field that you have patrons who are sex workers and you don't even like, it's not going to be obvious to you. You're not going to know, not going to come in with big hair and lots of makeup and platform, you know, platform heels. Like that's, they're not going to be wearing that in the library. I think, you know, having resources, um, having resources, having the, actually, this is a big thing that I encountered too. Like I was kind of looking at the, and I have some of this at the end of my book, some of the current like literature, that kind of gives people safety advice and a lot of libraries don't order that stuff. So even just getting books like now I'm free Lola Davina, like getting books by Lola Davina. I don't know if there's somewhere I could like drop her name in the chat, but she has a number of great um, resources on how to do sex work safely and to understand the financial side of it or just having books by sex workers as place like places that, that resources people can use. Yep, I found uh, Lola Davina. I put their stuff in the notes so that people can go and order their work. 
at their library. Hopefully, I wonder how many people who listen to this have actually gone and ordered the books we've told them to go order. Probably a, at least a few. I want to see I like a put little in a request right now. A little library punk sticker on the spine of all of the books that were recommended by us. Oh, we should get like the Oprah like reading club sticker that goes in the front of like best selling paperbacks. It's just a bunny. Yeah. It's that weird bunny I made as the first logo. It's like, you know, those cats that are just like black and they have the big yellow eyes. I made a bunny like that. That'll work. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I was, I was thinking specifically about like institutional policies and codes of contact. I, I was thinking about academic context because that's what I work in, in terms of like, you know, if you have students who are doing sex work, are there institutional policies that you could start pushing back against that are generally like, you know, if there's something in student codes of conduct or employment or student employment, stuff like that. But I didn't have time to go look and see if any of those policies, like what those policies typically are. It's been kind of a chaotic week for me. Sadie and I are are both moving at the same time. So our research, our research team is down to Jay. And I have other things happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I'm on work to roll right now. Fuck the system. Yeah. The the president sent out a like fear mongering message and it just fired up everyone instead of scaring them. And I was very happy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I'm definitely more versed in the public library world. Um, I think any, you know, and there, that's a problem in public libraries in general, just policies that, you know, make it difficult for somebody who, you know, who's living in poverty. You know, I think that any of those kinds of policies, like, like rules against sleeping in the library or rules against um, different types of behaviors that the library is going to have a problem with, you know, that are not really actually disrupting other patrons. They're, they're, they're just different. I don't know. I think any of those, I think, you, rules about how you're using the bathroom. One thing that I did, it just occurred to me is I, I think at least in one of the jobs I've had, had a, pol- a new, no moonlighting policy. Like, so I think you can, like, it's considered the, the main employment. So if you have side jobs, you're supposed to keep this as like your primary employment and like not do like moonlighting jobs. I'll have to look it up, but that is a ridiculous rule in the library world when they don't pay enough. Ex- so that exactly, I literally just started a side gig today. <laughs> yeah, well, and I remember, I remember seeing it. I think, I think it might have been, I think it might be in my my current job. But um, I remember, yeah, being kind of like, what, what the hell is this? Just because I was part time when I first hired at a library, you can't live off of a pages salary. So, you know, I worked in restaurants and stuff too, and I had been doing that for a lot longer than libraries. So who are you to say that this is going to be my primary employment, you know, but yeah, I wonder, I wonder how many other public libraries have things like that and how like that would affect anybody who works like a second job or, you know, especially if it's something that's not considered like a respectable air quote position, like, you know, stripping or other forms of sex work. Well, I think like any other job, like it's none of your employer's business, what your other job is, you know, like you're not providing enough hours and money. Like I'm showing up and I'm supposed to. Yeah. Nope. That makes absolutely no sense. If, 
it's okay with everyone. I want to move on to like the library defense network and how that has been going. Yeah. Could you tell us what the library defense network is and what it does? Sure. So that, that started about a little over five years ago. I was up late one night and I saw this Facebook post um, at a former library I used to work at saying that five of the librarians there had just been fired. They all incidentally had been um, trying to unionize. And the thing, and they were told that they were, you know, trying to, you know, save money, you know, for the library. And I'm like, I had personally worked on the millage campaign for that library. So I didn't, I knew that the money was there, that the funding was there for their positions and none of this made sense. Like I got, I just got really mad. I ended up going to the next board meeting along with other bunch of other former staff who were really, really pissed off at that board of directors and their puppet director that they had hired. I, one of the librarians had asked me to live stream it so her parents could watch from home. So I did that. And then I may have shared it a few places too, including um, the Michigan statewide listserv. And then after that, like the board president started coming after me to like attack me on the, on the listserv, which if anything, all he did was stir up more librarians who got pissed off because he was so condescending and just basically said, I don't know anything about how libraries are run. And, you know, that, you know, Christy was a librarian here, but, you know, she is now staying home with her children like a good mother should or whatever. And he just made everyone mad. <laughs> so, um, since he was such a good villain, um, I don't know. I just, it took about three and a half months. I ran a bunch of protests. I did a public pressure campaign online, but I ended up getting the entire board to resign, the director to resign, and all five of the librarians got their jobs back. And I. Damn. <laughs> I, Hell yeah. And I, I mean, I, and I, ha- I had the time at the time, and I just, I realized like this is something that I am, you know, I, I'm good at doing this, but it also pisses a lot of people off. <laughs> Um, and so since then people have like come to me, um, and I've helped with other campaigns. Like I helped in, um, a campaign in Cincinnati to stop the sale of a major downtown library building. I more recently, another local library in Michigan, um, I had some people who had gotten mass furloughed during, um, the beginning of the pandemic. Again, there was no budget issues whatsoever. There was just like, like a, a, a garbage person on the board who was, you know, making everybody or very bullying everybody into like treating the library workers like garbage. That one took longer, but eventually the director did resign and he resigned and, um, and they're rebuilding now. And the reason that campaign worked though, is because a lot of the people who it were directly impacted stayed the course and kept fighting, you know? So a lot of the stuff I did was advising at the beginning about strategy um, and I think that's, and I've had other people, like other things I've advised on, on a smaller scale, but one of the biggest things or takeaways I always want to let people know is that if you want to fight, you have to put, dig in, it is going to take a while and keep trying things, you know, and there needs to be people who are there who are going to fight for it. Even, and there's ways to do it anonymously, to do it quietly and not have them know that it's actually you, but people have to stay dedicated because I've had other people reach out to me and like try to hand me something like, Oh, can you just go stop this? And I'm like, it's not that simple. There's a lot more to it than that. You have to be invested and you have to go the course yourself. I can't just do it for you. So, and now I'm at a point in my life too, where, you know, I'm part-time at my library. I'm 26 hours. And then my other job, I run a small house cleaning business. So, and I have two, I'm a single mom with two kids. So I'm just very busy 
So I'm just, I'm just there now. If people like want to chat strategy, that's about all I can capacitate. So, and that's the other reason I got the book finished was the pandemic had allowed me to slow down and like finish it. If people do want to reach out to you about strategizing, should they just use your, your regular email? Yeah, my email's fine. Um, okay. There's like a library defense network, Facebook page or any of my social media stuff. Okay, cool. I'll track all that down and get it so people can bother you. I'm sure we have plenty of people who listen who want to absolutely get all of their board members fired. And so that'll be a great inspiration for them. <laughs> but that was pretty cool. Um, you also, you didn't mention with that first campaign that got all of the board members to resign, you threatened to FOIA all of their connections to local contractors because they were trying to expand the building, right? They yeah. Were, yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things like that was, it was like a few things I suspected that may have pushed things over. And I think that was one of them. I didn't even have to do a FOIA. I, I hate doing FOIAs. I usually like to find someone else who likes to do them. Hmm. This seems like a skill I should cultivate. I, f- I feel like I would be good at that. I got like my data from like Westlaw one time, just like for funsies. I'm trying to do it with Elsevier recently, but I think you have to be in California. And I don't know if I lie and say I'm in California, they'll still send me the information. Because I think you have to send a copy of your driver's license. Usually you have to scan it. So if anyone is in California and wants to help us do a little experiment on certain vendors and what they collect on you, um, I don't know, tweet at me. That'll be fun. That'd be a fun episode. I just want to say that I just recommended a purchase for both your book and the Lola Divina book at my library. Did it. I'll do that too. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Anything about the Library Defense Network? Um, oh, you're also a member of uh, uh, Library Freedom, right? You were in the second cohort? Yeah, I was in the second cohort. Sadie, which one were you in? I was in the first crash course, which was like a slightly different program. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of, she's kind of reformatting it a bit now, I think. Yeah. The crash courses weren't as intensive, I think, as the, the cohorts were. So. Yeah. I'd still like to do it someday. I think they ran out of funding for it, though. So whatever happens next, I'll, I'll try and get involved. Yeah. I always try to like, you know, I've never done it because I, I try to like save space in it for like people who don't already know this stuff and um, for like public library workers since I work in academia and don't have a lot of say over that kind of thing. Yeah, but you can always like write policies that at least like inform people. That's kind of what I'm doing and I'm kind of doing it alone, which is a huge pain in the ass. But Oh, yeah, I've definitely given presentations to faculty and stuff. Yeah, I just want something I can point to and say, like, here's the data we collect through the library specifically so, like, you can know what we're doing. And then by outlining that, hopefully getting the systems people to be like, that's kind of embarrassing that we collect this data. Maybe we'll stop doing it. So that's my plan. Yeah, we tried to stop using Google Analytics for our library website, um, but we don't have a say over that because uh, university merged it and so we no longer have library it um we only get to say like what goes on our website but we don't get to do any like we don't have that much control over it anymore which is sad don't even get me started on primo i don't even look at the analytics most of the time it's not my business (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sure you can find all kinds of good stuff. Well, I, I skew the um, the most popular searches because I always search ghosts every time mm-hmm. I test things. <laughs> and so that's like the most searched thing is ghosts. And then all the other things are what the instruction librarians teach students to search. You have the so, gothist uh, discovery yeah. layer. Well, because no one else is going to fucking search for ghosts except for me. And so our like top search terms are like functionally useless. When everybody's like, oh, what do people search? And I'm like, doesn't Gar- matter. <laughs> garbage data. <laughs> it's garbage data. I love it. I guess we can go to the action-oriented question, which is usually how we start to wrap up, unless there's anything I missed. But um, how should what, what should library workers be doing to support their colleagues who are doing sex work or have already done it, uh, specifically about colleagues? Um, I think showing that you're like a safe person to come out to. So I think that's a big thing, you know? So, you know, how are you, you know, demonstrating that? And I, I hate, I hate to be like, Oh yeah, you know, show them you're reading my book. And then, <laughs> but um, you know, like this, that this isn't something, you know, what, but like anything else, are you getting media from the, the source and are you sh- showing people that that's something that you do? I yeah, I mean showing that you're a safe person to come out to, essentially. Do you know if anyone has done any sort of programming in libraries that's aimed at say like strippers specifically, like sort of uh fully legal sex work? I don't think so. <laughs> I actually know someone who did. Yeah? Was it Yeah. Okay. So okay. um I don't know. I don't think they work there anymore. Um, but one of my librarian friends in Baltimore, uh, who worked at, in the Enoch Pratt system, did a like privacy workshop for people doing like online sex work and also sexting about like here's what to not show in photos and on camera. Here's how to like safely hide your information and and whatnot. I was like hell yeah. Oh, um, I don't know if it happened, but I know I remember them telling me about it and like how they were planning it and setting it up so so yeah i know one time it happened you should reach out to them see if they made anything and we can share it yeah i'll I'll bug them well i I would say too yeah related to like your previous question yeah help or being privacy advocates you know that you're able that you're a resource that people can go to who are for people who are trying to figure out how to make sure that they are doing things privately online you know yeah like something i and i mentioned this in a few episodes something that i've studied a lot that's related to my work and like my research interest but is not is uh, information seeking behaviors and so i'm curious if you know of any studies or would have anything to share about like the information seeking behaviors of uh, sex workers, um, either in a library or elsewhere, that like librarians and people who make these systems and teach people how to use them and stuff would would be helpful for them to know. That's a good question. Um, I think I talked about that in my book where I, I linked up with a researcher, and that was initially what she was trying to do was trying to find, um, and then that. But instead, we ended up doing like a meta analysis instead. But that was initially what her goal was to like look into the information seeking behaviors of. Um, she called us exotic dancers, but um, but it didn't. Yeah, as far as I know, I don't know that if if anyone has studied that through an information lens. 
that researcher had done something before with street sex workers, right? Yeah. yeah and that was, did get finished? I, it's a good, I am not sure. I'd have to go look back and see if she published something there or not. I can look it up. And if I find it, I'll put it in the notes in case anyone wants to know and move that research forward. I'm sure there's people out there who do. ACRL 2025, we're going to talk about the information needs of sex workers. That actually is a really good presentation idea. So someone please do that. Yeah. And that's another thing I've been playing. I used to do, I used to speak at conferences more when I had time. And now I, uh, I keep thinking, oh, I need to put together proposals for just talking about making more inclusive collections for sex workers. That is something I, then I, I forget to do it. Like yeah, I was going to com- ask if you, if you were interested in keynoting, cause I'm always doing conference service and I got to really skew a conference I'm working on in terms of what we're talking about and oh, nice. keynoters were. Yeah. I just sort of bulldozed everyone because I was like, this conference has to happen. This topic has not been talked about. <laughs> well, especially if it's online. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, I keep thinking like this is something I should do. And then it just, it needs to get more officially on the to-do list. Cool. Well, let me know when you do and I'll, 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 I'll make a whole, I'll try and just like bulldoze a whole conference into talking about information needs for sex workers. That'd be cool. I don't know if I can pull that one off. Which conference but, did you, did you bulldoze? Oh, open Texas. So it's, it's open education. Okay. Um, it's an, it's a new one, but uh, I I said we have to talk about labor. We can't not make it a central theme, and so it was. Uh, yeah, it, it it would be a lot of um, things, especially talk about like diversity and equity and things that always just sort of annoyed me was like, yeah, we hired a bunch of like brown students to be the face of the project, and it's like for for ten dollars an hour. Like, are you kidding? Like, are you fucking serious? Like, they're not, they don't have any control over the project. Like. And I would ask these questions, people would get defensive because it's like a nice white lady or whatever. And I'm like, you're not giving me anything here. Like, what control do they have over the projects? Like, is it, how is it theirs? Why are they the face of it? Um, if it's the your irony project. there, too. Yeah. So that just, you know, there's always one presentation in every OER conference that, like, gets me annoyed on a labor level. And I'm just like, we need to correct this. Jay's telling secrets in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to read secrets it out. Secrets don't make I'd, friends. Friends don't make secrets. <laughs> I'm not going to read it out. I'd, I'd be the one who has to edit it out. Yeah. So Hopefully soon we can actually talk about it for real. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I'm about to bust. I really am. I, I, I can't keep secrets for shit. I love telling people everything. <laughs> that was bust.wav that I was... Uh, hinting at last week i don't know where i found that i think it was another vtuber oh yeah i was like what was that thing that you posted and i couldn't tell anywhere in the episode did you even put it in no that was it i was i made the drop after the episode lord have mercy i'm about to bust (laughs) i'm never getting rid of it (laughs) who said that i don't know some old dude it's very funny on on a vtuber No, no no it was like a clip they use Oh, okay. I steal people's drops. I'm a drop thief. Yeah. Swipe or no swiping. So donation opportunities. Uh, I think I put in um, Lysistrata MCCF, which is an online-based sex worker activist co-op. Mm-hmm. 
I think you shared it. So I just grabbed it and threw it in the notes so that people would be aware of it. But are there any other things that you'd want people to send their extra dollars towards if they can? Um, Yeah. I mean, that was a good one. It's mutual aid and, you know, which prioritizes um, uh, trans sex workers of color. You know, it's funny that mainstream is maybe even not even the right word, but the um, biggest, because it's sex work advocacy, right? But one of the biggest organizations, um, it's late, my brain is old, um, is SWOP, S-W-O-P-U-S-A.org, um, Sex Workers Outreach Project. There are, I mean, there's actually a lot of good, a lot of good groups out there. Um, but I like Lysistrata because of the way that like their emphasis and, and SWAP is just the, the biggest one that's been around the longest um, in terms of doing sex work advocacy. I think there's also like a online, like sex worker archive or, or something. Mm-hmm. And like, you can actually volunteer to do like metadata for it and, and stuff. So metadata librarians, yeah, Scott, Scott Carlson told me about this. Uh, metadata librarians go um, do some metadata for some sex workers. Yeah, there are. And I'd have to, I have to look it up, but there are like groups that are trying to do more of that kind of history. I mean, when we look at a lot of working class history across the board, so much, so much of that is buried and erased and even more so when it's a marginalized group like sex workers. So just kind of, there are groups of people trying to do that excavation, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that would be a really interesting project, but you have to be super careful about not being exploitative or or being a condescending or what, what, not white knighting. What's the word I'm looking for? Like a savior narrative on yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll try to find the exact organization that Scott uh, sent. Cool. So we can put it in the notes. Yeah. I think there's lots of like local swaps. Cause I think there's a swap mm-hmm. in Tampa that was, had a really big Twitter profile and I was like, Oh, that's my home area. So I'll just follow them for a long time. So I learned a lot of really cool stuff from their Twitter. And there's also SWAT behind bars. Um, Get educated, folks. Yeah, so SWAT behind bars does a research archive website called Sex Work Info Share. Is um, what Scott sent me. I'll um, drop. Yeah, I'm trying to find some that are in the Seattle area. I'm sure they're mm-hmm. they exist. <laughs> Well, I promised I would keep it to an hour and I know it's late where you are. Um, and I'm going to try and go back to sleep too for like an hour before I start my overnight shift. So uh, was there anything else you wanted to plug or uh, share or do you want people to leave you alone? Ah, I like how I have so many options. Um, yeah. I mean, the people I'm, I'm here to talk to anybody who has done, you know, any sex workers who want some support breaking into libraries. I'm also here to help you strategize or tell you whether it's realistic to fight your administration. Awesome. Good night, everybody.